Thanks for coming. Basically, Brian just did what I was about to do. So I got to like make some shit up now. I unfortunately don't, don't have a PowerPoint, nor do I have an iPhone that when I swipe causes shit to happen behind me because that was cool. Nor did I transform the entire music industry in the way Rhapsody did, which, by the way, I think you completely undersell yourself. Prior to your existence, there was only one way people got music, and that was to buy pre-recorded music. Rhapsody actually created the first way. I mean, you had to talk to record labels for the first time to allow consumers to have access to music that they didn't own. Right? I mean, that just never existed before you launched your service, renting someone else's music collection. So I also tag you. I didn't even know you were... So forgive the lack of elegance here. I'm Jeff Price. I ran a label called SpinArt. I founded a company called TuneCore, which uh, became the largest music distribution company in the world over the last six and a half years. That's, um, this, this was a, where's that article that started my day? So this was a fun article. And then, like I said, I'm going to get a little bit off topic. I just, I just love this because uh, this sort of epitomies or embodies what I would like to talk about. So this is uh, Kerry Sherman down below, whose head is getting cut off in the YouTube video. He's the, uh, basically the CEO of the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, that used to represent what the music industry was, almost exclusively, well, exclusively which kind of doesn't anymore, and that's part of the, um, the challenge, problem, issue, etc. This is why I'm not in a rap act. MC Moron in the house. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right, so this is supposed to be about the transformation of the music industry that technology caused, and what happened to TuneCore? So I'm just gonna start with the, the transformation of the industry because how could a punk-nosed, loud-mouthed, bombastic, as the press likes to call me, person come in and create the largest music distribution company in the world within six and a half years, larger than Sony, Universal, EMI, Warner? Uh, what the hell happened? Well, what happened is they had their head up their ass, number one, and number two, it was a play to maintain control of a $30 billion market sector at the expense of everybody else. So literally the music industry, if you get into it, and I'm gonna unplug this for a moment, is it money behind the music industry follows the path of music consumption, right? The music industry is about connecting the artist with the fan, as you have so well demonstrated prior to me stepping up here. So I'm, I'm not gonna go back to ancient times. I'm gonna start at pre-recorded music, wax spools, vinyl, right? So what you had, was the ability for a consumer, a music fan, to buy pre-recorded music. That was the way the artist connected with the fan, post, tribes, and everything else that you threw up there with scantily clad women and men, which was awesome. So <laughs> what you had was people going out and buying music. That's how they connected. And, and for almost 100 years, 90 years-ish, they bought music in one predominant format, vinyl, a, a piece of slab of vinyl, a circular piece of vinyl, 10-inch, 7-inch, and 12-inch. And that's the way we then got our music and technology enabled that through a turntable and speakers and amplifiers and stereos. And you had a boon to this whole other sector because people bought pre-recorded music in a particular format, vinyl. The other thing and the other way people consumed music was through AM radio and then later on FM radio. That was it. I mean, really, until recently in the modern days, Music consumption was listening to a slab of vinyl, turning, rotating on your, hard, on your turntable in your home through speakers or a friend's home, or alternatively, listening to AM, FM radio, predominantly in the car. I mean, that was really it. Well, 
things move along, things move along. Cassettes come out, which, by the way, sound like ass compared to vinyl, right? Uh, no matter what anybody says, they just, and Dolby just takes away all the high end, low end, and everything in between. Sorry, Dolby. And you move along, and vinyl is the predominant market share. We had 8-track. 8-track was awesome because as you got to the end of the song on the 8-track, it would click, and the song would fade out, and it would click and flip over to the other side, and then it would fade back up. I don't know if so. Have, how many of you actually listened to an 8-track, just out of curiosity? All right, so for those of you that haven't, it was, it was a fun experience. Literally, Hotel California, fade a welcome to the hotel. <laughs> Lovely place. You know, that's how it... It went from track to track, so um, which was fun because they had them in cars too. Anyway, but along comes a piece of technology, innovation, and you put it up there, which I showed if I actually did my homework and did a PowerPoint. Along comes the Walkman. The Walkman is really, really important because prior to the Walkman, the only way people could listen to music was through a slab of vinyl. You know, some had reel-to-reel, -reel, but I'm going to ignore the fringe, okay? A slab of vinyl or AM, FM radio. I mean, that was it. But along comes the Walkman, and for the first time in recorded music history, music becomes portable, the personal experience, the one-on-one. -on -one. I remember going to school, and of course, I had my black fingernail polish, and I looked like the kids in South Park, conformist, and I smoked <laughs> clove cigarettes and had asthma, which made me, for a very, you know, great joke, I did, uh, throwing meat at Morrissey, and... I could listen to my personal music collection on a cassette that I brought with me. When I was in grammar school, uh, Jesus, I'm 45, so long ago, I actually brought into school one day a, a cassette player, and I brought Stevie Wonder's song, Sir Duke, with me, because I just thought it was so funny that the song was called Sir Duke, but the song didn't really have the word Sir Duke into it, except for this one part, and I played it at school. What a pain in the ass it was to bring this thing. And, but now I had the Walkman at high school, so the Walkman took off because you could take your music with you for the first time, and guess what happened? People began to change the way they consumed music, and the money began to shift. Instead of the money going towards pre-recorded music sales on vinyl, the money began to divert to pre-recorded music sales on a new hardware format called the cassette. Right? And really, cassettes had 2% of the market before the launch of the Walkman. Within a year and a half of the launch of the Walkman, cassettes had about 48% market share. And it wasn't because they sounded better. It wasn't because the artwork was bigger. It was because they were portable and it met the demand of the consumer. So the music, the money, followed the consumer to this new format. So now we had vinyl and we had cassette. That's the way consumers predominantly got their music combined with AM, FM radio. AM, FM radio was a person pre-selecting what songs we as consumers would be exposed to. It was the second gatekeeper. And I'll get into that in a moment. Well, you move a long time, you move a long time, and we had cassettes, and then cassettes dropped off. Then we had other formats came up, right? Mini DVs. You guys can probably throw out some formats I can't even remember. None of them really took, because the consumers didn't want them, until the CD. And the CD was like another type of cassette, only it had better quality, and it was skinny, and it was portable. It was a five-inch circular piece of plastic the consumer could carry around with them if they wanted to. They can begin to transport large volumes of music. I remember, you know, when those, what, those 100 uh, box, 200 box CD, blair CD blares came, there were jukebox stacked with CDs. That was insane that you can put 200 CDs into this huge thing and it would pull them out. I mean, give me a break now. But at the time, that was a big deal. And so the music industry pulled the fast one on consumers in some ways. They got us all to rebuy music we already owned in a new format. 
They really did. If you, you look at the explosion of the music industry and the revenue coming in, which really the industry took off in, in its heyday from 1991 to about 1999, that was the golden years of the traditional music industry, the major record labels. And a big part of that is because earlier on, everyone was rebuying their goddamn Beatles collection. We just were, right? How else are you going to get a digital format? So you had this explosion in revenue, and guess what? The money shifts again. And it shifts now from vinyl and cassette. Cassettes drop down, become almost nothing, and it moves to CDs. Awesome. The music industry is rolling in dough, and they've controlled the pipelines. And I'll get to that part of the equation in a moment. But what's most interesting is the music industry accidentally created its own demise. Because what they did is they took music that was analog, and they made it into a digital format, and they put it onto a CD. Right? It was locked onto that CD. You had to listen to it on the CD player, in your car or wherever. But what they did is they put digital music into the hands of hundreds of millions of people. And you had billions and billions and billions of music files converted from analog to digital. So what happens if you can free the music from the CD? What will happen to the music industry? Well, what happened next is you had a lot of really smart people begin to write codes that would do something called RIP. They could literally take the music off of the CD and put it onto a hard drive. Now, those are the techno geeks. Well, that technology began to get mainstream, and ripping software began to get mainstream. And when ripping software got mainstream, the average person, of which I am somewhat one, everyone says I'm pretty fucked up, but uh, could take their CDs, pop it in, rip it, and put their own music onto a hard drive. So all of a sudden, we began freeing music from a five-inch circular piece of plastic and moving it for the first time from point A to point B. Now, granted, you could do that with vinyl. You could record from vinyl to cassette, but it was cumbersome. It took real time. Um, there were other issues. It didn't scale, and it was very, very hard to mass produce, right? You, couldn't, you could, I suppose, do 100,000 copies of an album, the Feelies album, The Good Earth, onto cassette if you wanted to and hand them out, but that'll take you a long, long, long time to do. Whereas online, with music is set free, well, as you're all aware, that really takes no time at all. Right? So you got all this music now being ripped and put onto hard drives. And along comes another punk nose snot named Sean Fanning, who creates a way for people to share these files that exist on this hard drive with a file on this hard drive. You know, they can begin to move files back and forth on hard drives. They don't actually have to be on the same computer. You could connect the computers together through an interconnected network. Well, that's Napster, right? And Napster takes off, the cat's out of the bag, the industry has just screwed itself in a way it did not mean to for that short-term potential revenue gain. And all of a sudden you get mass consumption of music in a way that's never happened before at the consumer level, right? All the people are like, fuck buying music, I can just get it for free, and everybody kinda did because why wouldn't you? Napster became a means to an end. So consumers now moved from uh, wax spool to vinyl, to cassette, to CD, and through Napster we got global training of music consumers to download music onto a hard drive and then actually listen to it on their computer. You think about that. Think of it, before Napster, not many of us really spent a lot of time listening to music on our computer because number one, Dell computers never worked, and number two, the speakers sound like ass. I mean, they just, they just didn't, it wasn't a good experience, and you had to sit at your desk and, you know, now we lost the Walkman. I want that portability back. Well, a couple things happen next. Number one, you get the launch of eMusic, the first online digital music store, okay? 
later, that predated Napster by about two and a half years, and it predated iTunes by about four, four and a half years. But what both iTunes and eMusic did is they shifted the way a consumer had to buy music in a radical way. So did Napster, but let me just table that. Previously, as a, as a music fan, if you wanted to get that song you really liked, you had one choice. You had to go out and buy the whole album. It didn't matter if you liked the other songs on the album or not. To get that one freaking song, you got to buy the whole album. Yeah, we had singles and we had CD singles, but this was really an album-oriented industry. Well, what eMusic did, and they did it first, was decouple the song from the album. For the first time, a music consumer could go to a music store and buy the individual track without having to buy the whole album, whether the record label wanted it or not. Right? So it freed up the song. iTunes, I didn't say it was a good thing or a bad thing, it just is. Okay, iTunes did the same thing as well. Consumers loved it. Cat's out of the bag, the money's going to follow the consumer. It really does. Now, at the same time, you have rising up the new iteration of streaming, which did not take as well as downloading. So consumer behavior shifted from vinyl to, uh, to, uh, to cassette to CD. They learned how to download. Then they moved into buying pre-recorded music as downloads through eMusic and iTunes. Along the way, you have AM, FM, radio. It is what it is until the launch of Rhapsody. Rhapsody goes out and cuts deals, groundbreaking deals, with really tough entities, the record labels, allowing people to have access to listen to music that they did not own, that they've never bought on demand as a stream. And that set the stake in the ground for the next version of what's coming, or what might, some might arguably say is here, the streaming industry. And this is a really big leap forward, because what you're looking at is a shift from consumers buying pre-recorded music as a way to generate revenue for the entire music industry ecosystem to music consumers renting somebody else's music collection and listening to it on demand. And the only reason that's happening is because of the proliferation of broadband, hardware, software devices, and so forth. And so what we're going to have is a shift in the way the money's moving again. right? And, but this time, the shift isn't going to be over what format or hardware device. Now, Every single time a song is listened to or accessed, the copyright holder is going to get paid. I didn't say a lot, but they're going to get paid. Compare that to the old industry. One-time transaction, let it be gets bought by the Beatles, that's it. No more money comes in. New model, every single time I listen to a song from the album Let It Be, the entity that controls the recording of the song is going to get paid, and the music publisher and songwriter are going to get paid. Every time. Volume and scale is going to far offset over here, right? The numbers get ridiculous. So that's the way the, the consumer moved. And that's kind of what we all have to think of in the music industry. No matter whether we like it or not, you've got to follow the trends of the music consumer. We can try to shove it back over here and force everyone to sit with digital rights management in a box listening to music only on Tuesday between 3 to 4 p.m. with a specific set of headphones if you stand on one foot, but it's not going to work. Well, along comes the, um, the iPod, and it provides a great experience for consumers, and we now have our digital Walkman, right? We now have a way to transfer music off of that hard drive and stick it onto a portable device that we can carry with us everywhere we go. Downloading took off, but it also set the stage for streaming because if the same device that allows you to download and listen can allow you to stream, now we've got the next migration provided, the convenience factors there. Gosh, if it was only integrated into some sort of hardware device that did lots of different things, like text and phone and surf the internet, right? And so here comes the smartphone and the idea of a hardware device only playing one type of music. You think your turntable is going to make phone calls, right? So that kind of really set things free, and that's the way things moved for the consumer. So 
how does this change things for the artist, the other side of the equation? Well, artists traditionally recorded music, they recorded albums, and they wanted those albums available in the places people went to buy it. Well, Walmart was the number one retail location in the United States to buy pre-recorded music, for a while anyway. Well, unfortunately, to get on the shelves of Walmart, you needed to get signed to a major record label because they controlled the pipelines. And in order to get signed by a major record label, you had to be one of the anointed, and I use that term in a sarcastic sense, few, less than 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of the world's artists would gain access to that pipeline. And to gain access to that pipeline, they had to transfer ownership of their copyrights from them to the label. The thing that they created is now no longer theirs, it's the other entities. And that label would take those copyrights, manufacture a piece of plastic, put the plastic in a plastic tray, put the plastic tray in plastic, take that plastic, put paper in it, wrap it in plastic with a top spine made of more plastic, stick that in a cardboard box with tape, put it on a pallet, ship it off to Walmart where it would sell for $17.98. And when it sold for $17.98, the artist would make no money because they hadn't recouped the advance given to them by the record label to record the recording that they had to sign ownership of to back to the record label. Right, so by the way, you read all these articles about artists aren't making any money anymore. Excuse me, artists never made money. What fucking world are you living in, <laughs> right? There was U2, there was Madonna, and then there was like everybody else. I'm not suggesting that Led Zeppelin doesn't kick butt, they do, but I mean, come on. 99.99% of the world's artists never got into the ecosystem in the first place, and of those that did, 98% of them failed. They got dropped, and of the 2% that succeeded, less than a half a percent of those ever ended up generating a band royalty for the sale of pre-recorded music. Those, that's insane. And so I read all these articles about how artists don't make enough money now. Well, you know, excuse me, they're making more money now than they ever did. Doesn't mean it's a lot, but at least they're making some. So anyway, the artists needed the label for distribution, because the pipelines were expensive. Manufacturing, if you want to sell 10,000 copies of something, you need to front the money to manufacture 10,000 copies of something and hope to God they sold. And if they didn't, your credit card was going to be maxed out and your bank account would be drained. Right? Uh, they need the label for the cost of recording. It was very expensive to record. I mean, people, some people forget this. Uh, a day in Bearsville or a top-end studio, I mean, you can talk thousands of dollars a day between engineers and producers and studio rentals and the cost of cigarettes and beer and spending the night and food and, and condoms and everything else that was required to record. It was expensive, right? And it needed a level of expertise uh, to make a recording that sounds as good as the Rolling Stones count. Where are you? There you are. Or, or somebody, I mean, you, this is not easy stuff. Well. Technology now has changed the ability for anyone to record and make it a lot more inexpensive. We all get a, if you get a Mac, it comes with a garage band. I'm not saying you're good at it, but I'm saying the costs to do it are much, much, much lower. The type of talent you need, some will say it, you don't need as much talent. I'll be kind and say you need a different type of talent, or you can have a different type of talent, right? You can mash up. Maybe you don't make your own music, you take somebody else's, but you have a talent to intertwine it in a way that nobody else can. So you don't need them to, front money to record like you did in the old days. You don't need the same level of experience or expertise to make a recording that can emulate the Jimi Hendrix guitar sound because you can buy a software app that, or software download that does that. You don't need them for distribution because people have shifted from physical to digital. Now what's cool about digital is you have unlimited shelf space, right? So you don't have to fight for it, it's just a hard drive. With unlimited inventory that replicates on demand only after it's paid for. It's freaking Star Trek, that's cool. 
right? This is unlimited inventory that replicates on demand, no upfront cost, no breakage, no shrinkage. It only pays after it's sold. It replicates via download. That's really cool. So you don't need the label to front the cost of manufacturing. You don't need them, uh, so you need them for distribution, but now you go to a place like TuneCore, click a button, get your music under the largest music retail stores on the planet, keep your copyrights, and get all the money when the music sells. So you don't need them for distribution. Uh, okay, you don't need them for manufacturing. Well, we need them for marketing and promotion. So I hear. Well, again, 98% of what the majors released failed. So obviously, they, only, they don't have a turnkey solution to marketing and promotion, and they spent billions of dollars marketing and promoting over the last 90 years, okay? The trick to becoming successful as an artist is creating a piece of art that causes reaction. How do you do that is beyond me. I don't have the skill set. I never will. If it was easy, we would all do it. Making a piece of art that emulates, that resonates, that causes reaction from Rebecca Black and her song Friday to, uh, I don't know, take your pick from someone from 1922 who I should know that I don't. Um, you need the talent to do this. If you can do that now, these days, you now have access to all the pipelines, which the last one being marketing and promotion. MTV is dead as far as showing music videos. All I do is pimp out cars, get 16-year-olds pregnant, and show people beating themselves up. I mean, <laughs> okay, they don't really show music videos anymore, right? YouTube is the new MTV. By the way, YouTube, number one destination site in the world for music discovery and streaming. And my prediction is over the next two years, 24 months, it will be the number one revenue generator for copyright holders. It's insane how YouTube is up here compared to everybody else. So YouTube is the new MTV. Um, commercial radio would be the last great bastion. That's being replaced by entities like Pandora, Slacker, Last.fm, Atrax, and so forth. As soon as commercial radio is taken out of the car, the entire old music industry system is dead. It's the last place they've got a stranglehold. And commercial radio does impact music sales. But Ford, about a year ago, stopped putting CD players into its cars. Cars are now becoming wired. There is a huge battle coming between Google and its Android software and Google Play, Apple, and of course its iOS operating system and hardware devices, Microsoft, Pandora, Spotify, SiriusXM. They are all fighting for that car. And whoever wins that battle, or the winners in that battle, will really have some uh, good stranglehold on the market. But there's the last bastion of the major record labels. You don't need them for MTV, it's gone. Print magazines, Rolling Stone, et cetera. You know, I haven't read, any of you remember Option Magazine? Yeah, okay. It was like 50 pages of these tiny micro-reviews that just went on and on, or Magnet. Anyway, those have been replaced by blogs. Social networking is the new communication vehicle. It's the way I always discovered my music, as a friend would recommend something to me. Well, social networking allows communication en masse. You can tweet, you can blog, and it really does pick up. So much so that the, all these other artists, the ones that weren't supposed to sell music, the ones that weren't signed to the major record labels that ended up using an entity called TuneCore, sold over 620 million units of music in the past three years and generated over $320 million. They weren't supposed to do it. Civil Wars weren't supposed to win two Grammys and have the number one album on iTunes without a record label, right? Hoodie Allen wasn't supposed to have the number one album on iTunes. He wasn't signed. And the list goes on and on. Hundreds of thousands of artists doing things they weren't supposed to do. So the major la record labels through technology, consumers shifting how they get music from analog to digital combined with artists no longer needing labels to manufacture, market, promote, or record have been completely disintermediated. And what we're looking at is people like Carrie Sherman from the RIAA taking the stage and saying, we represent the music industry and we care about artists. No, you care about your constituency, which is fine, but stop blowing smoke up our ass and telling you you give a shit about the artist. You care about a business on behalf of the people that are members of the RIAA, which is cool, but you're lying to say otherwise. 
And for you to sit there and say the music industry is collapsing, no, the traditional music industry is collapsing. The new music industry is beginning to dwarf you to the point where a new company called TuneCore can have 5% market share of all digital music sales in the United States. EMI is at 7.5%. And it did it in three and a half years. And it took you 90 years and how many billions of dollars? So give me a break. You're done, dude. This is no longer about Doug Morris trying to get the money in for him and his friends. Give it up. So anyway, that's the transformation of the industry. Now, I know we have uh, five minutes, four minutes left. Is that pre or post questions? Questions? All right, so what happened to TuneCore? I no longer work there. Questions? <laughs> I'm out of time. <laughs> what happened to TuneCore? Uh, it's been communicated, I'm trying to think of the way to do this. It's been com communicated to me by others that there's certain information I'm not allowed to disclose. Which drives me crazy. Uh, I believe in complete transparency. If I did something wrong, that should come out. If somebody else did something wrong, that should come out. I wish I could give you a succinct reason as to why I'm no longer there. It's never been provided to me. I have my, my thoughts on it, but again, I get into that ridiculous conundrum. I will say this. Uh, I'm a major shareholder of that company, and there's no one on this planet that cares more about its success than I. Not because I want to be wealthy personally. That's not why I started it. I started it because there was something wrong and I wanted to write it. That's just what makes me tick, you know? And the idea that this company, which has been the last six and a half years of my life, might not achieve its vision is very frustrating to me. The customers, who are the artists, the employees that all signed on, whom I hired, uh, the people that invested in it, the personal, the founders. I have a moral and philosophical and ethical responsibility to them to maximize the value of that company and I will do everything I can to do so. It gets problematic because when you publicly speak about it, you could potentially damage the very company that you're trying to save. I will say that what I learned, particularly during the dot-com boom in the late 90s, is you had a lot of VCs pumping a lot of money into music companies. I mean, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, and every single one of them, with rare exception, Pandora being one off the top of my head, has not done well. There has been no exit from the music industry that one can think of over the last 20 to 25 years. My hope is that um, there will be somebody brought in that can help lead that company. Whether I play a role in that or not remains to be seen, but I certainly hope a banker is not trying to do that and knows better, right? I can't run a VC firm any better than a banker can run a music company. So. That's kind of the lowdown on that. I think it remains to be seen what will happen, but I'm happy to say I'm still doing my best to assure that the company maintains its vision and goals, which is to change this industry by becoming a service industry as opposed to an exploitation industry. That's the new music industry. Right? Artists don't need people to throw up those gates anymore. They need someone to provide a hand and provide the utility back end and the service structure to help them succeed. Come here, click a button, music out, licenses, money back. It's all very simple. So um, that's the very short version of that. Is, am I done? I'm done. I'm dead to you. Okay. Thank you. Oh, by the way, if, if I have a half a second, just because I realize I'm supposed to do this or I'm going to yell at myself later, here is my contact info, right? I'm supposed to show you my Twitter and my whatchamacallit. So, so, ha! <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much.